Welcome back to the Women's Cycling Weekly podcast. It's been a little while um, for no real reason. We just didn't have anyone to talk to or anything to, do, uh, to talk what, about. Weren't you on your deathbed with tonsillitis? Ah, yeah, that's right. That sort of thing going on. Yeah, I was on my deathbed uh, for like two weeks. When, then I was in UAE. Okay, yeah, things have been going on. That's why. But anyway, we're back. And today we've got a special guest with us. It's Rachel Jari, who is a staff writer, ruler, and all-round legend. So, hey, Rachel, how's it going? Good, thanks. Honoured to be asked to come on, obviously. The best po- best women's cycling podcast out there, as we all know. So, all uh, good. That still exists, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good job we- we've got you on, to be honest, because there's actually heaps to talk about this week. Um, because we've missed like two races and there's a bit of news as well um so we'll just quickly skim through it um first up is that the tour series um has been put on hiatus for a year um due to funding financial reasons I think they've said um if anyone who doesn't know what that is it's a series of criteriums around town centers in the UK which I actually once raced and it was horrific so that's the tour I raced them as well that was really awful you're right it's actually they oh they just make it like so sketchy on purpose if it rains you've got no chance of like staying upright survival no so that's some sad news but hopefully they'll come back next year um next the Vuelta Femenina we finally have like a smidgen of information do we not Tilda yeah it's very exciting they finally announced that it will be starting on the Costa Blanca, which is quite a broad area, I'll say. It's like 400 kilometres of the Spanish coast, but look, it's a vague start. Um, And we are going to have a full presentation of the route on the 28th, so that's this Tuesday coming. So yeah, we are finally getting somewhere. It's like three months till the race starts, so probably good that we might find out something about the route, but better late than never. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> Get your uh, get your transport booked and shit. Because honestly, how are you meant to plan your life with this? Anyway, speaking of Grand Tours, or so-called, uh, kind of not really a surprise, but RCS have said that they're going to... Is it to do with like, a bid, or do they just straight up take it over from 2024? What's the deal? Um, yeah, so the Italian Federation kind of put in place a bid system for the Women's Giro and also the Under-23 Giro. Um because the current organisers were... I don't know if they were not willing to organise it anymore or if the Italian Federation just wanted someone else to organise it. Um, But there was a bid system and RCS were actually the only people who put in an application for the Women's Giro. So they will be taking that over from 2024, which will only be, you know, their kind of third women's race they've ever organized UAE tour was a big one this year so it will be interesting to see how their kind of foray into women's cycling continues because they don't really have the experience that perhaps ASO did when they started a week-long tour de France so yeah we hope that that will bring a, a more professionalized future to that race but it remains to be seen well I guess we'll get onto it later but judging by the way that UA tour was organized it was pretty good like so you would hope as well with a big company like RCS they will do a good job of it be interesting to see if this means that it moves to May alongside the men's race as well um and finally Marina Voss is undergoing surgery for a constricted iliac artery uh this week so hopefully that means that she can recover quickly and get back to racing at some point later this season. So maybe in time for the tour. Let's not put pressure on it. Um, and that's it. That's the news. That's your lot. Okay, let's move on to the racing. Feels like ages ago now because since then I have narrowly avoided death. But the UAE tour happened a couple of weeks ago and we saw some sprinting. What did we think of it, guys? First UA, first UAE Women's Tour. 
first they loved to say this like multiple times first women's world tour race in the middle east thoughts um i mean it's a race in the middle east do you know what i mean i'm not a massive proponent of those races not even for political reasons i just don't like sand and deserts and long flat roads (laughs) it was better though it was like it was better than i imagined looking at the stage profiles i was actually quite interested watching the stages so that was good because i had quite low expectations of the sprint stages not gonna lie but actually they were quite interesting with the wind and stuff yeah i so i was there and like i also kind of went into it like okay it's just gonna be like boring straightforward like straight roads like flat and waiting for everything waiting for the end for something to actually happen um but the wind made it really interesting it was I mean I like sprinting everyone thinks I'm weird for this people have made comments that it's weird that I like watching sprinting but there we go um so I thought it was interesting to see how that all panned out and then also the climb like the climb guys it's so steep and so long it's actually vile like driving up there in the van I was like well I'm glad I'm in a van right now I'm not on a bike um so yeah and and like I say it was pretty well organized it was a bit odd like on the ground like there weren't many spectators like the vibe was a bit yeah I don't know what the word is kind of it was quite it was like a procession in a way but no we've got a sprinting rivalry emerging and I think that's really cool yeah it was kind of these races kind of are the big early showgrounds for the sprinters both in the men's and women's sides and I think we were all like expecting to see what would happen with Weavis at a new team Charlotte Cool having actual leadership at DSM but to be honest I really wasn't expecting what we saw on stage one where Charlotte Cool took the win like I was hoping she'd give her a run for her money and something might develop, but I really wasn't actually looking past Weavers very seriously because I thought, you know, she just got it nailed on. So that was surprising to me. What do we think about the fact that, you know, there was a bit of debate about, well, Lorena Weavers crashed and blah, 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 blah. So it was a bit easier for Cool. Do we think that holds water? Because I think Charlotte Cool got involved in a crash as well certainly her team did so I think it was a pretty equal fight on that first day yeah I also think that it wasn't like cool didn't win just because she was like faster she actually tactically rode it like pretty perfectly rushing the gap to Weebus and stuff it wasn't really just about speed like she just showed that she was like in the right place she just rode it better so even if like I don't know, even if Lorena was like, hadn't have had that crash, she probably, I th- I still think Cool would have won just because she was like actually riding a better sprint. Like I think Weebs has maybe got to that point where she thinks she's used to just opening up and it's like, okay, she's won. She doesn't actually have to think that much. Whereas now it's a bit like she's going to need to sort of think maybe how to like race it a bit differently. Like Cool was like following her wheel. She was like really like going a bit, gung-ho in the sprint like she wasn't necessarily following her own lead-up train um whereas Weebs was kind of just doing the classic like you know get to the front open up and then hope you that no one comes around her so cool was like for me I think tactically stronger as well as like being faster it wasn't necessarily just about like her speed at the end yeah I agree I think like you could really tell that Weebs had been like relying on in the previous seasons like she's just by far the fastest because she like Paul was in the lead out so she wasn't there like sprinting against her so she just opens up really early and expects to get like multiple bike lengths on everybody else but it didn't work out for her and then on that I mean she did crash on that day and then somehow what I don't know what like magic this is but she crashed within like 3k and then was back with like a 800 meters to go or whatever like how does that even happen um but I don't think that really made the difference I think we probably after stage one everyone was kind of like oh we'll see next time when she doesn't have a crash and they've got like a clean run but I think you're right about calls like the way she rides a sprint tactically is just she's got way more kind of 
she was looking for those gaps. Like, I think mean, we saw, I don't know if you guys saw the video of the f- last sprint where Cole comes from like really far back and gets boxed in like multiple or almost boxed in like multiple times and just keeps finding gaps and gets through. No, I was just going to say like she went like, didn't she go like on the inside, like in, on the inside, like right next to the barrier? Like it was a really tight gap that she actually found her way through, which is like, like I would like, obviously I'm not a sprinter mm-hmm. in the fucking world to Peloton, but she like to find that gap, I was like, how did you actually do that but that was another example of her like she was just following weaves like she didn't she wasn't even like thinking about her own lead up people she literally just seemed to be like following weaves following weaves and that was kind of the right thing to do I think yeah and I guess that's like the different kinds of sprints that you see the ones that like go their own way and like know which wheels to follow and jump around and the ones that are like so heavily reliant on their lead out train they have to just like be shepherded to the finish and I don't know I think cool like cool's way of doing it is definitely more I mean she's got the advantage because she can just like switch it up I'm not saying that Weebus can't do that I don't know we haven't really seen it but like I think what we'll see is that she was quite reliant on the lead out train last year and that SD works she might struggle to find her feet a bit yeah it is and it's not to say that she won't find um you know it's just an adjustment isn't it like when you come from having the very best lead out in the world which practically every time worked out like it was very rare that the team dsm lead out would fall apart or become a bit messy so it it is going to be an adjustment to because it's not even like she's joining a ready-made lead out sd works they have built it around her and the other riders in it are new like femke marcus barbara gorishi like I do appreciate that it's early in the season. Like she has a bit of working out to do, but also, yeah, based on pure speed and like who has the, the nous in the sprints right now, I think Charlotte Cool is, is winning that. Cause obviously we jumped ahead a little bit to the last stage, but we was then one on stage two when they had a bit of a fairer head to head, but on the last stage, Charlotte Cool won again. So she's kind of two, one up on uh, Vibus right now. So I'm sure they're excited for the next time they can go head to head. I think also, I know you're kind of saying like Weavis needs time with SD Works to like develop, but it's going to be interesting to see what it's like when like Lotte Kopecky and Vollering and stuff are back. Um, like how, because she's kind of not used to being like that challenged for going for sprints. And I don't know how that's going to work with that dynamic. Like they have a lot of pe- winners and a lot of riders who will want to have like leadership and there's quite a few races where like it could be a sprint or like they could try and like make a like breakaway or whatever coming up so I don't know it's going to be interesting to see how like Weber's copes with like not necessarily having a whole team built around her and like the only target being a sprint keeping it together for a sprint like DSM did quite a lot last season yeah I think I mean we say this about like the Dutch team when it comes to, like wheels and stuff like that a lot but like it is a bit of a case of like too many cooks or it could be anyway and then also because the team isn't built around one sprinter the lead out is basically just like Barbara Grishy and Femke Marcus like and it's not the same as having like what are there like where there were four of them there was like cool Francisca Cox uh five for Georgie am I missing someone um but like they were really like well rehearsed and that was their one kind of role whereas at SD Works it's like are we gonna see Lotta Kopecky leading out Weavers I don't think so I don't know but yeah be interesting to see anyway but I think it's cool that there's that she's got a rival like that someone's challenging her because it's only gonna make both of them get better and make sprinting more interesting so it's also clear I think that um cool has like learned a lot about how Weaver sprints from leading her out all last season like she kind of seems to really know like what Weavers is going to do and like how you know how she's going to ride the sprint and where she's going to be and I think that was like I don't know a bit of a like master plan from DSM really like you lead out the best sprinter in the world for a, a season, you find out everything about them, how like they work. And then when you have to then go up against them, it's like you're at quite a lot of an advantage really. And that kind of showed, I think. 
Yeah, and I think it's also good to remember because there was all this chat about like, oh, like the lead out rider has become the sprinter. But actually, Charlotte Okul was a sprinter before she was a lead out rider. So she's kind of in this perfect position of she was already a sprinter, already actually winning races when she was at um, Next G. And then she has like this year of like, you know, learning from the very best. And then she steps up to this. Like, it's not like she came from only being a lead out rider to this year, then winning races. I think it's good to remember that she was actually like a sprinter in her own right um, for, you know, two, three seasons already before she was with DSM. So I think she's almost in a better position in terms of experience than a lot of the sprinters because she's got this combination of um, abilities that she's learned in different roles. Yeah, and she's also the same age as Ubez. It's easy to think that she's like this little young prodigy that's come through, or whatever. What's the word, protege? But she's, yeah, they're the same age. Not that that really means that much, but... Anyway, away from sprinting, um, stage three, to the top of Jebel Hafit. What did we think about that? The one-two from Trek with Elisa and Gaia. So controversy, should Elisa have given Guy Rowling the win? No. Ooh. Hot take. Okay. <laughs> Rachel, what do you think? I think, yeah, they should have. I don't know what, I don't really understand why they didn't. Like, there was nothing to say that Rolini would have lost time, like, if there had been, like, mad crosswinds on the final stage or anything. She'd been riding really well. Like, she was well positioned in all of the flat stages. I... And like it was, it would have been cool. Like it was her first like vet race. Like it would have been her first world tour win. She's like twenty one. Like Longo Borghini doesn't need anything else. Like she's won loads. I feel yeah. like they should have. Yeah, I don't know. I think it would have been nice for her to like repay the work that Rolini had done. It was a bit sad, I thought. But it's not. It's cycling. It's a race. I guess it's not about emotion. But I was just like hoping she was going to get it. I guess it's also it's entertainment as well, and I think it would have like the the kind of narrative of Elisa gifting Guy the win after doing so much is the one that everybody wants to see. But I'm interested to hear why Tilda doesn't think that. Well, but <laughs> I think part of it is I think maybe in the back of their mind there was some worry about what would happen on stage four, even though really he had been had been riding really well if you're going to bet the GC win on who is going to ride best if it goes to like absolute chaos in crosswinds, you're going to pick Elisa Longo-Borghini over Guy Rilini, I think. And also, like, as you say, like, cycling is not always about emotions and gifts and there are hierarchies. And when you're the newest rider in the team, you're not you're not very high up that, that list. And, yeah... And it's almost as well, like, we can say about, um, you know, repaying her for the work that she'd done. But if Raylene had won the stage, then it wouldn't have been anything to repay because what would Elisa Longo Bugini actually have got out of it? Do you know what I mean? Like, if she hadn't won, she wouldn't have, and she wouldn't have had the GC and anything. So it almost be like, what was the point of Elisa Longo Bugini being there? It wouldn't be like, I think if, I think it would have been different if Longo Bugini was going to go into the GC lead anyway then I would have said well I should definitely give really the win but whoever won was going to take the GC and I think it's just more of a safe bet to go for Longo Borghini on that but yeah it was a shame and we kind of hope for these like cute fairy tale moments but cycling even the most lovely teammate environments like Trek when it comes down to it you have to go for what you think is safest and who is like the rider that deserves it most that's yeah really harsh but I mean for what it's worth as well um after the race Elisa was saying that she was on the radio like they were discussing it and she wanted to give the win to Gaia but the DS had obviously been calculating the, the GC and, and said no like you need to cross the line first so it wasn't as if Elisa was like no fuck you I'm taking the win <laughs> No, exactly. But, but what but about still, behind that? What was happening with the rest of the riders? I can't remember. <laughs> Way to throw me <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> no, we had Sylvia Persico. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
straight um, straight in from cyclocross season no rest. yeah what a weapon on a climb like that to a completely different effort yeah yeah um she must need a rest soon though please like she's not gonna go straight through to whatever races um and then there was Anna Shackley Anna Shackley raced really well actually um in the absence of Neve Fisher Black who I guess would have been their option for that that stage um but couldn't race because she was injured so good to see her get a bit of a free role or like a bit of a like to be the appointed climber for the team because we don't really get to see her like shine very often um and who else was that fucking daughter i can't remember uh, esme Peppercamp. this is what i'm saying of course yeah this is this is an interesting thing you like you know the end of last season we were talking about dsm having this like ridiculously young team and how it was going to be a bit of a transition period they've kind of thrown that out the window haven't they they've gone no our, our riders may be only 19 but they're gonna get good results anyway obviously we'll get onto it with valenciana but yeah they're crushing it they're not letting that hold them back like they're not mm-hmm. if, if if from the outside we were looking at it as a bit of a rebuilding transition season that's not how they're approaching it they're yeah excited. that's like it's interesting like I was I interviewed like Leanne Lippert who obviously isn't on the team anymore but she did develop like on that team for like quite a few years and she was like I don't know she was kind of standing up for like DSM getting a bit bit of a like bad rap sometimes with, like how they treat riders and she was saying like they they actually do develop young riders super well like when she first started out they were like making her like get in the car early on like the training ride so she didn't like overdo it with like doing too much too soon they like didn't race her like too much and I do feel like now you're kind of seeing the the like rewards of their long-term plan with a lot of these riders which is quite cool to be fair and I kind of respect the way they you know invest in like those long contracts and yeah, I think it's it's quite quite like makes quite a lot of sense and it's good to see a team not just kind of buying in all of the best riders um and like having a bit more sustainable approach maybe. Yes, and the new Valkar, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough of UAE, do we think? Not much else to talk about. We should say uh, who won uh, overall. Yeah. It was Alisa. <laughs> Guy was second, Pesco third. Happy days. I was about to say it was a good place to kick off the world tour, but then I realised that already happened. In, in... I almost said that at the top. Yeah. I was like, the first world tour race, and I was yeah. like, oh no, not. Confusing. <laughs> um, well, not a world tour race, but still basically a world tour start list, a world tour peloton, um, was the actually named Setmana Ciclista Valenciana, um, which happened last weekend. Speaking of sprinting, kind of, Stage one and two were both sprint finishes, but we didn't have the kind of main two gals, Charlotte and Lorena. So it was kind of the Elisa Balsamo show. She's obviously very fast. Do we think, what do we think about if she comes up against those two though? How do we rate her chances? I guess it's hard to say when she hasn't done that yet this year. I I don't think she is on the like pure sprinter turn of speed level that they are which sounds weird to say because like you say she is really fast but I just don't think she has the kick to match them like if it was those three I think she'd come third I don't think she'd be beating them but but I think the flip side of that is that she has other abilities that they don't have like she Mm -hmm. at the moment she can get further in a hilly classic than they can she can do a bit more of a team job than they can and then when it's like a reduced sprint field, she can win it, especially with this uh, lead out from Sanguinetti that she's obviously ridden with her in the Valkar days. But I don't really see Elisa Balsamo as a pure, pure sprinter in that sense, because she's just a little bit more well-rounded. And also on Trek, they don't have any more a really organised lead out train, you know, without people like Chloe Hosking. So... She, we are going to see her, I think, mainly in these um, more reduced sprints or sprints on longer stage races rather than what we think is like the pinnacle of sprinting that Lorena and Charlotte will be contesting. Yeah, I agree. Like, and I, if I was Barcelona, I'd be like, I probably wouldn't be trying to like 
I don't know, go for those re- those pure like sprint days against the likes of um, Weaves and Cool, just because, like you say, she does actually have quite a lot more to offer in like the rolling kind of more punchy races. Like even when she won the Worlds, it was quite like a punchy course, wasn't it? I think. Um, so yeah, like she's a, she's a lot more versatile. So she should use that, I think. Yeah, not to go off on like a tangent, but like the conversation around sprinting is like really interesting at the moment in women's cycling because Balsamo, obviously she's winning these sprints, but these two are kind of on a different level with it. But so I probably shouldn't like give this away because it's not even for women's cycling weekly, but I spoke to Charlotte and Lorena at UAE about whether they actually want to be pure sprinters and just hone that and or whether they feel pressured into being all-rounders because there's this big thing about like oh like you can be more than a sprinter but interestingly both of them said they felt like they had to diversify neither of them were were like I really want to be a pure sprinter and that's what I'm going to be because they reckon there's not enough opportunities for a pure sprinter in the women's calendar and then I spoke to, because remember when we thought Emma Norsgaard was a sprinter? <laughs> so I spoke to her and I was like, what do you think about that nowadays? Like, are you trying to, are you a sprinter? What? And she was like, basically she was like, I'm not fast enough to compete with these girls. So I'm moving away from sprinting. So I think there's a bit of that going on. Like there's people who like back in the day, we were like, that's, she's a sprinter. And now these two really fast, like as close to pure sprinters, as you can probably get in the women's cycling have come along and everyone else is like oh I guess I'm not a sprinter yeah but I don't know I where guess, Balsamo sits in that I guess now there's like a difference between like a rider who excels on the flat and a sprinter like that's a, there's a slight difference between those kind because there's a lot of flat races that aren't like bunch sprints right you know we'll mm. see we'll see this over the weekend with like Omloop at Hageland is not a sprint in the same way that a the UAE tour is a sprint stage because there's kind of more to contend with and so previously yeah riders like Emma Norsgaard who are really strong on the flat because they're like a ruler strong bigger rider but if you don't have this like mad turn of speed then you consider yourself not a sprinter but I and I think Balsamo probably fits into that in that her turn of speed is not as insane as the others but yeah it's kind of this weird like in-between thing where it's like you're not a climber and you're probably not really like going to be a Flanders winner necessarily, but you have to be able to deal with a slightly harder situation than these out and out flat sprints because they don't really exist in the same way that they perhaps do in the men's peloton. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, if they, if more people accepted that they wanted to be sprinters though, like it's, it's something you can train, isn't it? That sort of like fast kick at the end. Like, I, I wonder if it's, like, pressure from teams for these riders to be able to do a job, like, in all the different races, because now, like, the calendar's getting so big and stuff. They don't want somebody who just, like, can only do a flat sprint or whatever. Um, and maybe, what like, when teams get a bit bigger and stuff in the future, hopefully there will be more riders who are able to, like, do specific training to make them, like, pure sprinters, like, stuff like going in the gym and things like that, which I feel like maybe they're just not like not given the opportunity to do now because like the teams want them to be able to help in like other situations as well I don't know yeah I think it's that I think it's like circumstantial I don't think it's anything to do with like physiology or the limitations of like what these people are actually capable of I think it's like they feel like they have to be a bit of a jack of all trades which is kind of sad because it's not it's not like being Mark Cavendish when you're like oh I'm, I'm like surely going to win five stages at the Tour de France but as soon as the road gets hard at all I'm going to be dropped women's teams don't really want that they don't want a rider who's like can't get up the most basic of climb but I think it's almost like you can't have both like if you have this insane top end speed you trade off that you are just going to get spat on the most easy climb which is fine when that means you can pick up like 40 wins a year but it's less fine when they have smaller teams and they have fewer races. And so, like you say, Rachel, like you're in a less safe position if you have less to offer for the, to the team in that sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, elsewhere, stage two and three of Valencia. Tilda, you were you were all across this, weren't you? Three and four. Two and three. Three and four. Three and four. Sorry. Numbers. Not for me. 
Give us a quick rundown what happened. Yes. So stage three was the hardest day. Um, all the days were hard because they were quite rolling. Like there weren't none of them were like pan flat. Um, but we actually went over a thousand meters on stage three, so it was harder. The break went pretty quickly. Um, we had a break that went kind of for the whole day with Becky Story and Elise Elise Oyen and two other riders. <laughs> I'll get I'll work that out. Um so yeah, the, it was just the break was gone for a long time and it took a little while for anything to happen in the Peloton. Um it, it got to like the penultimate and the biggest climb until a move actually went. Movistar were like clearly setting up for something, but it actually took ages for anything to materialise. And when Van Vleuten did eventually make the move that we were all expecting, she took with her um, Amanda Spratt, Ashley Monpasio, and initially Kim Kadzal, but then she got dropped pretty soon after. And they then caught up with the breakaway riders that were ahead. And then we got into this weird situation that we were debating in our group chat, which was that the two breakaway riders got dropped, got back on, attacked, got caught, got dropped, got back on, and it was all a bit strange. So we can get into that in a minute. Um, But then, yeah, eventually they did manage to dispatch these riders. And unfortunately, by that point, the climbing was kind of over because there was just one last climb before the line. And it was clear that no one was going to accelerate away from this trio. And so it was a flat run in towards the line. Um, Annemiek van Leuten is not going to get a gap on the flat because she's not that type of rider and so it came all the way to the finish um in a bit of a bit of a weird sprint because they're climbers not sprinters um which Ashley Mormon Passio won to take the second time that she's beat um beaten Annemiek van Vleuten in a matter of months after she did it at Romandy Amanda Spratt in second Annemiek van Vleuten in third so it was a bit of a weird one that we expected it to be the big climbing day. And I think a lot of people would have expected a classic Annemiek breakaway, but actually uh, that is not what happened. Yeah. And she has come out and said um, that she wasn't strong enough or she couldn't make it hard enough, which as you've put in the notes, like is the opposite of what she usually says. She's usually like, it wasn't hard enough, Mm. which is interesting. Yeah, it it was really weird that she said I just wasn't strong enough on the uphill because that's she never says something like that. She's always like, well, the climb wasn't long enough or I couldn't make the race difficult enough. But she's just was like, yeah, I just wasn't strong enough to ride away from them, which is interesting. I wonder if she's like going to peak later for like the tour and stuff. I don't know. Maybe she's kind of planning uh, like to be in good form for those races. She doesn't really find this one worth like like she might have just trained through it I don't know yeah I thought that but then you think that she did win this race the last two years because true yeah if it was like something she never targeted I'd be like oh yeah like why are we expecting her to be in especially for her last season where she really wants to win everything but then it's like yeah to be fair she was trying quite hard as well like she didn't look like she wasn't trying to win but so I don't know I don't know I think I think I think to be honest I think the level is just catching up with her a bit. Like riders like Ashley and Amanda are yeah. catching up with her a bit, which is which is a good thing, probably. Yeah, I think it was probably like before she might have used this race as like a build-up race, but Annemiek's build-up race was like everyone else's like we're trying as hard as we can kind of thing. Mm. So she would just win it like incidentally, whereas and then she'd be peaking for races later in the season, like the tour um, or the Giro. And now it's like she's still in that same sort of level but everybody else has caught up I reckon it's that really yeah also no negging on the sprint Ashley Moonfessi has actually got quite a good kick on her I called that in the chat you did oh there's worth racing (laughs) yeah to be fair though I was literally I I thought Annemiek would do better in the sprint because I was thinking about Omeloop when she did that sprint against Vollering last year and I was like "Mm." oh it was going well then in like sprints, but she. But I yeah, feel like kind of flopped. Demi was just like fucked in that sprint. True, maybe yeah. I don't she know. said also she was a bit surprised by the final roundabout. Um, I don't know how much of a difference that made, but it but it was uh, yeah. Her and Sprat went one way, Mormon Passio went the other way, and just like launched from there. But yeah, 
Mm, she probably thought she'd be solo by then. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, I don't need to look at these last kilometers because I'll just be chilling on my own. <laughs> um, and yeah, actually going back briefly, but talking about explosivity and anime, she's also come out and said that she's not as explosive anymore and that she is kind of just focusing on like basically the diesel engine for the grand, well, for the poor and like stage races. So I don't know, maybe that's part of it too. Well, I guess that's why she came third in the sprint. Um, Let's not forget she's like 40 now. So that's kind of expected. Yeah, how did that, like, I don't actually know, but, like, how did that climb uh, in Valencia, like, compare to, like, the sort of things they do at the Tour? Like, was it? It was two dons, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, it was. Which is? So it's long. how long it is. Long but steady, no? Yeah, I would say long but steady. Like, it was only four points something percent, like, and there weren't really, like, steep, steep ramps. Um, You know, some climbs where you see the women do it and people are like falling out the back constantly it wasn't really like that like the peloton was was still pretty hefty by the time they were getting to the top um yeah it just wasn't like to be honest watching it I would have said as well that the racing just wasn't as hard as as it often is and we had this whole debate that actually the three of them were not actually pushing each other their hardest on then that final climb because if they were like the cooked breakaway riders wouldn't have been up the road so there was definitely a sense of it, they weren't racing it like full tilt the whole time, so. Mm. And the gap the was the hardest. The gap was pretty small at the end, still. Like when yeah. it was what, like ten seconds or something, to yeah. the peloton behind, which was kind of surprising, considering you'd think they would all just want to be gaining as much time as possible and like doing quite hard turns, but maybe. Yeah, and, and you would have expected a group of climbers like that to just like ride away, but I don't think they were. This is the whole debate we're having. Like they weren't really going at their hardest, but maybe that is maybe that's the tactic. If you're in a group with Annemiek van Royten, don't like shell yourself on the climb. Like, if you can save the energy, then you should. True, I guess I didn't know that she was perhaps not feeling the, her best. But then, yeah, I don't know. I just think they raced it really weirdly, and we could go into it and we could analyze it, but we don't really have time. So, <laughs> <laughs> what happened on stage four? Final stage. The break actually did take a long time to go on this stage um, because I th- I think uh, it looked like it looked like this was probably going to be a stage for the breakaway, so they needed the right composition of riders to go. Um, eventually, after like forty k, a big uh, a big move went of twenty riders, lots of teams in there, so the the peloton were pretty happy to let it go, and the the lead went out pretty big. There were some GC threats in there because we had Justine Gekira and also Elise Oyen who were. 20 seconds and a minute down respectively so when they were four minutes up the road they were they were in the lead it was kind of like a whittling down process from from the bunch when they got uh, from the breakaway sorry when they got into the harder mountains mountains climbs and we ended up with just Gekira and Oyen um on one of the climbs we kind of didn't see this happen and then she just appeared in the front but Riolini bridged from the peloton um, I th- we think after some help from Balsamo. So then going over the top of the final climb and into the last descent, we had Riolini, Gekira and Oyen, um, which was really exciting for a minute. But then as soon as he started ascending, Oyen kind of really sent it and opened up a huge gap over Riolini. Um, and then Gekira had to come round Riolini and Riolini was clearly struggling a little bit on the descent, I guess, because she's a smaller rider. She just physics are not in her favor um and so then yeah when they got to the flat um going towards the finish it was Oyen and Gakira um I don't know if you would have predicted which one of them was going to win because we don't necessarily know that much about each rider but um it was a pretty close sprint and in the end Oyen took it and they finished I think 16 seconds ahead of the peloton in the end, which meant that Gekira actually took over the GC lead from her teammate, Mormon Pasio. It's hard to tell how deliberate that was, especially because they wouldn't have known the exact time gaps and Mormon Pasio was clearly sprinting to the line. Um, but yeah, she took she took it from, from her teammate, which was interesting. Obviously, the team line is that they're all very happy and a win for the team is a win for everyone but yeah it was it was an 
I don't want to say it was surprising because Gakira had been riding really well all week, but I don't think you would have said on stage one that she was going to win the overall. But once that break went and she was only 20 seconds down, it was kind of all to play for. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was... No, I just... I was going to say, like, I just thought it was a bit of a risky move from luckily it worked out for them but from AG insurance like I kind of thought they um Ashley Mormon might have said to them like you all need to be like protecting me like my GC I was almost surprised they gave like the others the freedom to like go up and go in these breaks and stuff um I just thought like I don't know the way like Ashley Mormon is I thought maybe she would like have wanted them to be quite well drilled in like protecting her and doing the proper like GC leader team set up where they're all like surrounding her and making sure she's staying safe and stuff so it was risky like I think they're quite like quite lucky that it worked out how it did or I don't like you, you'd hope that they were on it with like who was up the road and stuff and what all the times were but yeah it was pretty close in the end so I don't know yeah because I mean if if a slightly bigger group has ended up as the final portion of the breakaway and it hadn't included Gekira but Oyen was in it or something like that yeah and you could have quite easily ended up in a situation where she took the overall because she was only a minute down and a bigger group could have held on to a bigger gap and yeah it it was a little bit rolling the dice I guess especially because the like even the time gaps we were getting like watching it were pretty unreliable so I don't know how they would have necessarily had any better information than that in the team cars so yeah who knows maybe they did maybe they were like on it and knew what was going on but I have a feeling it might have been yeah it was a bit of a risky move I don't know that's interesting actually because looking at it you'd be like oh AG raced it really well this race like they kind of had like two options they had all bases covered but yeah actually that maybe they did just kind of like wing it (laughs) a bit with that one or they got lucky rather but separately like they I don't want to like put them down because they did actually ride super well like throughout the whole race even with like this in the sprint stages like with the lead outs and stuff like they were actually super well drilled and I was quite surprised to see like how they like were basically had like more riders up the front in the important moments and some of the like big world tour teams and that was quite impressive I thought actually yeah speaking of that we haven't even mentioned talking when we were talking about stage one and two that Lotta Hentala I think that's how you say it um got second on both days which given that she hasn't raced for a really long time uh and went away and had a baby and just came back like that's really impressive from her um, yeah that was very cool but she's kind of another one like balsamo i feel like you just don't know how she's going to compare in like big sprint races and we also it's quite interesting with her because we don't actually really know like how she's going would she go well on like a rolling like classics like more punchy stage it's going to be interesting to see yeah for sure good to hear back though in general um do we have anything else to say about Valencia I don't think so really <laughs> you know it's a hard one because it, it, it was a big race and it was raced aggressively but also it is February and there's a lot mm-hmm. still to happen and riders who weren't performing have plenty of time to turn that around riders who were doing really well it doesn't mean they're going to hold on to that towards the bigger races so it's kind of good to see where everyone's at but I don't think you can draw loads and loads of conclusions from it and it's it's also it's not a world tour race and so you've got to imagine the riders don't see it quite on the level as of the much bigger races and I think if if it had been a world tour race you know certain teams would have ridden it quite differently and you wouldn't have let a teammate accidentally take the lead and stuff like that so yeah it, it was good to see where everyone's at but it will be interesting to see the kind of when we go back to Spain after the classics where everyone's at then yeah it's kind of the thing with these races it's like there's all these like riders who have really good results and come out of nowhere seemingly like Elise Uyen. um but it's whether they carry that throughout the whole season or whether it's just because you know certain riders aren't there or other riders aren't at their peak but still interesting um I guess we're about to head into that part of the season though because it's opening weekend this weekend Woo. are we excited there we go that's what I was after Rachel, where was yours? <laughs> sorry I'm yeah I am excited though the cobbles love them not getting enough. yeah I know I do actually love like the one day races I think they're well good to watch 
yeah they are it's exciting I'm glad we're heading into this part of the season because like the I am I think there's that boring conversation about like oh does the season start until opening weekend but like to be honest no like (laughs) not really everything before then is is somewhat early season testing isn't it yeah you know and the fact that we haven't seen riders like demi bollering race at all says Mm -hmm. says it all i think so i'm super excited the biggest thing though is that puck peters is racing no she's not racing is she it's on hargeland sure 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 sure. (laughs) so confusing i know (laughs) anyway she's racing this weekend she's racing on the road which in itself is for the world tour team no less Mm. yeah no that will be very I feel like we can't pile too much expectation on it like I think it's probably like go race the road see how you go because she really doesn't do it ever um but no be good to see how she goes in Omloop Hagland but (laughs) this is the first time that Omloop Het Newsbags will tour for the women as well um, I don't think that really changes anything, but I think it was kind of are. treated like a world tour race anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Should we go bold um, and go for some predictions? Oh Christ! Uh, oh no! This uh, is my first one. Lorena Vibers is not going to be in the picture in Het Newsblad, and I don't even know why she's starting because it's not really. I mean, those the the two last like the Mir and the no was big, is it? And they're then, not, and they're not. They're not sending a team that can hold the race together for her, so no. Why she? But left? maybe I think she probably wanted this part of this like oh, yeah. diversification. She wants to yeah. go and race these races so that she can help the team or whatever it is. Yeah, and then I think she has a better chance on Sunday. But yeah, right. So that's um, not your prediction then. That's not who, you. Tell me who's not going to win. Who's yeah. going to win? <laughs> I think. Demi might come at it all guns blazing. She hasn't raced this year and she didn't race at the end of the season last year necessarily. She like she wasn't at Romandy, I don't think. Maybe she um, was. <laughs> anyway, I think, yeah, she's got a bit of revenge to exact from last year. She wants to get the ball rolling. I think she doesn't want to focus her whole season on the tour like she did last year because then if you don't win that, then it's like, uh, okay, what was the point of all that? So I th- I think they've been training really hard at SD Works. They've had like four training camps already this year. so And they've got a good team around her. So if they really go for it, I think this could be followings go. Interesting. Rachel, thoughts? Um, I think Movistar are going to like seriously like dominate like looking at their team it's actually pretty unreal like Lippert I know she kind of was a bit disappointed that you eat or but I almost feel like she's more suited to like this sort of race anyway then they have Van Vluten and um, like Elena Sierra as well will be like a card to play like Emma Norsgaard Flaughty Mackay like I've literally like five out of six riders probably could win for them which is like pretty impressive and I almost think maybe stronger than SD Works team as like a lineup, but it is going to be the thing of like so many options. Will that be their downfall? I don't know. And they haven't all raced together that much, but yeah, I really think Movistar are going to be dominating um, in that race. That's my take. I don't want to pick like one rider, but Zoe Baxter's racing, which is exciting as well. And she, I interviewed her like um, last week and she's like, been training on like all the roads she like knows them all really well she like lives in Belgium and I know she's like super young but she's got like mad amount of talent so she's probably one like a little underdog to that I would keep an eye on um then obviously like Grace Brown as well I'd say has a good shot um it's just going to depend like how it's raced as well like how hard they open it up on the climbs like if going from what we saw in Valencia like if it's like a break establishes itself, but then they don't want to work with each other or they're not prepared to like commit to the move, maybe maybe it will go in the favour of like the people who want like a reduced bunch sprint. So I always find like on loops a really hard one to know how it's going to be raced. Yeah, I feel like any of these classics, it's so hard to predict because they are just so unpredictable and it really depends how they're raced. Like you can't really look at a profile 
and be like, yeah, definitely this person or whatever. But that's what makes them so exciting. But then I guess um, we should, if you kind of look back at like all of the previous editions, it's like Brandenburgen, Van Vluten, Brandon, Brandon Broke Black. Is that how you say it? Is that her yeah. name? Yeah. yeah. Like they're all riders who like favour, who like love a really hard sort of like breakaway, you know, not a reduced bunch sprint. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I agree on Movistar. I think they've got a really exciting team for this. And I think the combination of Liana Lippert and Fortune Mackay that they've added this year is like an extra bit of a boost. And yeah, FDJ, I think it's a good job they've got Grace Brown on that. I don't know. They've got the boot up to do something because they've kind of like shat the bed a bit in the last couple of races. (laughs) We can swear on this podcast. (laughs) Um, but low is it Lowe's? I don't know how to say her name. Lowe's Adi has yeah. She she she's won. She won Kid Eleven, so maybe she'll be going well. Who knows? She's quite exciting. But then I just I don't know if it's like Omelie is so technical with all the like small roads, downhills, and stuff that might be a bit challenging for her. But she's another one who could definitely play like a good role for like supporting Grace Brown. Um, yeah, or like and she just won Cecily. Swift Worlds again. Yeah. Um, whatever that so, means it's a great indicator that she'll be uh smashing <laughs> it in the classics right 100 <laughs> percent. um okay any final thoughts because i know rachel's got to go in a minute so tilda anything to say well i would just like to ring this little bell for the first time uh this year it's not going to happen many times all 15 world tour riders t- teams are starting on loop this does wow. not happen very often surprisingly but they're all starting, so note oh, that down. It's only, you know, the third World to Race of the season and we've been waiting for it, but <laughs> you have a full house. It may be, maybe the, the last time for a while because they're not all starting Stradio Bianchi, so savour that. But yeah, mm-hmm. on to the weekend. I'm very excited. Let's have it. Yes. Okay, well, thanks, Rachel, for coming on. Thanks for you having me. Whenever you want. It was great. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. And um, if you enjoyed this podcast, have a look in the show notes for our newsletter, which will be linked up there. It's called Women Cycling Weekly. It's kind of this, but slightly more concise. Um, Only slightly, though. And you can now follow us on Instagram. That'll all be linked up down there as well. And Twitter. And yeah, subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it. If you didn't, I don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 I have turned a song of this beautiful, but the beauty of a rich man.